The following is the English translation of Pastor Mongen Wu's teaching on the book of Genesis, chapter 35 to 36, translated by Ray. Read the Bible every day so you will be full of faith. So today we are going to read Genesis chapter 35 to 36. In chapter 35, verse 1, God said to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there. Make an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. So in chapter 34 in Shechem, there is a terrifying thing that the daughter of Jacob was defiled and his son set a scheme and slain and plundered the city. So this thing actually make Jacob very afraid, even though he didn't say much. But in verse 1, arise, go up to Bethel. So, you know, sometimes in our life, we might forget that we have made a promise to God in the past. And then in some moment that maybe we are stranded, wandering around, not going anywhere, then in those cases, God will actually guide us through circumstances to help us to step back into the path for our destiny. So not only God will keep dealing with our flesh in our life, but God will also deal with us when we become idle in comfort. So in chapter 34, there is almost no single mention of God's name. But in chapter 35, you will find that it just keep mentioning God's name for 10 times. And also very special in verse 1, this is the first time in the Bible that God asked someone to build an altar and dedicate it to him. So in the past, Abraham, he also built altar. Isaac also built altar. And Jacob has also built altar. And he even built an altar in Shechem. But today, God says, you have to build another altar at Bethel. Build an altar at the place where I first appeared to you. And the second point here is that before Jacob became the mature Israel, God, he will try to make him mature up. So God will manifest himself as the almighty God. However, here in verse 1, God appeared himself to Jacob as the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. So here Jacob, he thought that he is matured already, but actually he's still not because Jacob hasn't been to the place where God appointed him to. So dear families, in our life, we have to ask ourselves, God, is it that I allow myself to stay in the comfort of my flesh allow myself to stay in all the fleshly enjoyment. God, may you please guide me, guide me into the blessings that you have prepared for me. Guide me into the abundance that you have promised for me. Guide me into the calling and glory that you have prepared for me. So here, when Jacob, he has this face-to-face -face encounter with God again, Jacob immediately responds to that. So he tells his families uh, to put away the foreign gods that are among you, and purify yourselves and change your garments. Then let us arise and go up to Bethel, so that I may make there an altar to the God who answers me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I have gone. Jacob is now awakened. So you know, as a father, we have to speak up. So their families, oftentimes, if your family is not stepping on the path of God's destiny and calling, as a father, you shouldn't blame your wife, you shouldn't blame your kids, you shouldn't blame for anything that's happening in your house, you have to blame yourself. Are you the one who is responding to God's timing, to God's calling, to God's will at every single moment seriously? So here, when Jacob speaks up again in the following verses, you can see that his spirit is awakened. He starts to teach his wife and his 
children to purify themselves, to live purely in front of God, and also to fear God. And when he started to teach them to build an altar, to offer sacrifice and worship God, then the entire household is now settled down. And all the kids, they become willing and obedient. And so they put all the foreign gods under the terebinth tree. So here again, another point, their families, please don't treat idol lightly. So here in verse four, you know, they even remove all the earrings. So sometimes in our house, you know, kids, they might not understand. So we as a fathers, we must be very sensitive to these things that maybe our kids, when they're unknowingly, they are wearing something like amulet or lucky charm or anything like that. So even though those things, they look very small, but please don't treat these decoration lightly. Even though those things would not impact our ultimate salvation. However, all these tiny things like amulet, lucky charm, they can actually affect our spirit. They can interfere us and prevent us from keep stepping into this path to keep fearing God and knowing God steadily. And also remember previously, Rachel, she's still the idol God, right? And also sometimes the kids, they might not understand because when they slain the entire city of Shechem, they also plunder a lot of stuff from there. So here it's very important for us to know how can we help our kids to purify ourselves in our household? How can we help our spouses to fear the Lord? We as a fathers, we have this responsibility to speak up. So their families, if in the case that your husband is not a believer yet, then you as a mother, you have to take this responsibility as the spiritual parents to guide our kids to fear the Lord. And also be very aware whether or not their hearts start to drift towards the world. Oh, they start to feel like, oh, it's nice to wear this uh, bracelet or it's very nice to have this necklace or even to make some tattoo or some having some symbols on our body. We have to teach our kids when they are still young to let them know that we have to present our bodies as a living sacrifice to the Lord. So don't take those like lucky charm as a protection or think that, oh, they just look nice, looks very beautiful. It's very likely that there might be some evil spirit in it. So here God manifests to Jacob and his family is to remind them it's critical for them to get rid of all these corruption so that they can step into the predestined path to Bethel. And then in verse five, you will see they start to go into Bethel. And then you will notice that a tarot from God fell upon the cities that were around them. So they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. So remember what the sons of Jacob just did, that what they did makes everyone around them hate them and even trying to pursue them. But here they only did one thing. They basically just put away all the idol God. They put away the foreign gods under the tree. And God brings great terror upon the cities. So dear families, we have to know that all the protection comes from God. It's not from our own power. It's not from our might. And the key is that when we set pure in front of the Lord, then it can bring God's presence. Then our family will be protected. Then in those cases, any surrounding evil spirit or power or the forces that are trying to attack us, they will be terrified. So if you want to protect your family, it's critical, especially now in the beginning of a year, to keep having our family to live in God's purity and holiness. So now they just keep going and they went to Bethel 
And when they indeed, when Jacob built an altar in Bethel to the Lord, in verse 7, and there he built an altar and called the place El Bethel, which means God of Bethel, because there God had revealed himself to him when he fled from his brother. And then in verse 8, Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died, and she was buried under an oak below Bethel. So he called its name Elam Bakuth. So what does it mean? So here, very likely, like when Jacob's mom, Rebecca, passed away, and then when Jacob finally go back to Bethel, that likely the nurse of Rebecca come and find him and stay with him. And but now, even this nurse also passed away. So remember, this nurse of my mom passed away is basically similar to my own mom passed away. Or you can kind of feel that it's like my godmother or even my godgrandmother. Someone who has been taken care of Jacob since his childhood now also passed away. So you can see that God's uh, work on Jacob is that he gradually, slowly removing the thing that he cares about one after another. And as God slowly and gradually take things away, Jacob also learns to gradually understand God's will and learn how to live pure in front of the Lord and start to remove all the unclean things and anything that he tries to rely under than God, God all take them away. And then, so in verse 9, God appeared to Jacob again when he came from Padan Aram and blessed him. God said to him, your name is Jacob. No longer shall your name be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. So he called himself Israel. So you can see it's at this moment God finally called him Israel. Because he has completely removed all the corruption and also he learned to fully rely on God. So God has keep removing all his attachment and reliance either to a person or to a circumstances. And only when God has removed all those things to a degree that God can finally accept, yes, now you can be called Israel. So their families, we really need to know sometimes God will do some uh, cleansing or pruning or even breaking work in us so it looks like we are losing this one and also losing that one and feel like there's nothing that i can grab it on my hand until in the end that finally i realized that the only thing that i can rely on is god himself if this is what happens to you you have to give things to god and say lord thank you thank you for purifying me thank you for cleansing me thank you for pruning me because my name is going to be inside you and the old has passed, and I will be a new creation. So Lord, may you keep removing the things I'm relying. May you keep pruning me. May you have complete sovereignty in me. May you take care of my family. May you rule over my marriage, rule over my kids. May you reign over my job. So if you can are able to pray to God every single day, then God will keep strengthening his promise and destiny and calling in our life. So indeed, in verse 11, and God said to him, I'm God Almighty. And this is the same sentence that God says when he made this covenant with Abraham. God says he is God Almighty. And when Isaac, he is standing in the right position, God also told him that I'm God Almighty. So here today, Jacob, he's finally aligned with the Lord. Previously, he was a very crafty guy. He relied on his own ability. And now today, he finally surrendered everything in front of the Lord. Then at this moment, God says, yes, I am God Almighty. So dear families, today you can respond 
that God, may you reveal yourself to me as the Almighty God. I realize that I'm so weak, I'm powerless. At, in the moment when I feel that I can do nothing, it's the time when God will reveal to us as God Almighty. When Abraham, he just finished circumcision, then God says, I'm God Almighty. When Isaac, he kept giving up the will that he died until there's nowhere to go and he even left Rehobor. And when he finally arrived at the place that God asked him to stay, then God says, I'm God Almighty. Similarly, Jacob, he just keep losing things and he just keep losing things until he finally realized there's nothing that he can rely on. Then God says, I'm God Almighty. So what's the true meaning of El Shaddai? What's the true meaning of God Almighty? It's when we no longer rely on ourselves, no longer rely on our own wisdom, our abilities. And God, I recognize that I have no way to deal with my marriage, my children, my job, my life. I don't know what I can control. I don't know what I can do, God. So I decided to fully dedicate myself to you. Let you do it. Then at this moment, God will show himself as God Almighty. And he will keep strengthening his promise from Genesis, which is to be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you. And kings shall come from your own body. The land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I will give to you and I will give the land to your offspring after you. Then in verse 13, then God went up from him in the place where he had spoken with him. So Jacob see God face to face. This is not in a vision, it's not in a dream, it's not a feeling, but instead it's a seeing God face to face with his own eye. So oftentimes when we feel that, Lord, I can hear when you speak to me, or maybe I don't understand when you are trying to guide me, and you maybe feel that why God you hasn't reveal your hand. And that's usually because we still have many of our own methods. We thought that we still have ability, we still we can control. Then in those cases, God will allow us to use our own ability. So the only time when we allow the Almighty God to manifest to us is when we are completely surrendering our own ability, acknowledging that I can't do this. Then in those cases, not only God will manifest himself to us, but God will make a covenant with us again. And he will remake the same covenant with Abraham. He will restore his promise and even the same promise, the same covenant with Adam. And even in our life, God, he will manifest himself even more greatly. And that kind of ability that can make people around us tremble. And it's only when we completely surrender when God will give those things to us. So very important. And next in verse 14, and Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he had spoken with him, a pillar of stone. He poured out a drink offering on it and poured oil on it. So here, this is actually the third pillar that Jacob has set. And this third pillar represents that um, Jacob, he says, yes, Lord, I now truly accept you are my God. You are my only one and I only rely on you. But later on, Jacob will set the fourth pillar, which is in verse 15 to verse 18, that Rachel died. So when they journeyed from Bethel, uh, Rachel had a hard labor. As her soul was departing, for she was dying, she called his name Ben-Oni, which means son of my sorrow, because this son doesn't have a mother. But here, Jacob, he is matured up already, so he knows that he can change the destiny of the kids. So he start to name his own kids. So he called this son Benjamin. 
So even though Rachel named him Ben-Oni, the son of sorrow, but now Jacob, he's much more mature. So he no longer let his wives or even the maidservant of his wives to name his kids. But instead, now Jacob, he named his own kids. He called his son Benjamin, which means son of the right hand. And right hand is my manifestation and representation. And that means my life will pass on to him and can also mean son of honor. So here you can see that Jacob becomes more and more mature. He no longer calculate for himself and he can understand God's will. So now Rachel died and she was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. So in Jacob's life, he set up four pillars. He set up his first pillar at Bethel when he was fleeing to Padan Aram, when he was still half believing and made the quid pro quo prayer to God. If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I can come back to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And after 20 years, when he fled from Laban, and when Laban was chasing after him and they don't trust each other, so they let God be the witnesses between them as he was living around with all his wives and sons and all the inheritance. Now he set up the another pillar on the mountain. And then it's the third one, which is also after these 20 years when he went back to Bethel, he set up the third pillar. And also at that time, his name is changed. He changed to Israel. And then here, the one after Rachel is the fourth one. So you can see that the third pillar and the fourth pillar is actually happened at a time when someone who is very important to him passed away. So he set this pillar and then it's also a representation that he can now completely let go of those things. Rachel just passed away and it is the fourth pillar. So their families, is there something like this kind of milestones in our life? that I'm fully willing to surrender to God, that no longer I have any insistence in my life and I'm willing to be broken for you. And that I believe that every single event in my life, even though it's great pain, but I still choose to worship you. I still choose to give thanks. I still choose to praise you. These kind of mark of our victory, you know, their families in our life, we need to have these kind of milestones. Either it's painful or it's victory, maybe in tears or in joys, or maybe God shows his guidance in the midst of the difficulty. You have to record them. You have to have these milestones so that when you look back, you will find that even in every difficult moment, God is still guiding us. God is still leading us, providing us, and he's always with us. So remember in the beginning, God has promised Jacob that I will always be with you. And then these four pillars of Jacob, God also used them to remind Jacob that I'm always with you. So their families, please don't only ask God when you feel when you're in a great pain and asking God that, oh, how come you're not blessing me? How can you treat me like this? But actually in every highs and lows, God never leave us. It's just that we don't realize and whether or not we have chose to come draw near to him in those moments. So later on, indeed, he keep moving forward. And then in verse 22, when Israel was living in that place, um, Reuben went and lay with Bilah, his father's concubine, and Israel heard of it. So remember, Jacob has 12 sons. 
And Jacob remembered this thing in his heart, and then he didn't say anything immediately. But and he chose to let God to do a judgment. And then indeed later on in Genesis chapter forty nine, when he was blessing his kids, Jacob brought this issue back again. So here, why would Reuben do such a thing? Uh, it's mainly because Reuben he doesn't have this sense of security. So even though he's the firstborn son, but you have to know, Bilha she is actually the maid servant of Rachel. So after Rachel died, is it possible for his father to make Bilha become the representative of his favorite one? Well, he chose to make Bilha uh instead of Leah to be the mistress of the household. Then in that case, what about his own mom? So in this case, Reuben he actually has this fear in his heart. So even though he's the firstborn son, but my mom is never my dad's favorite. So he went and lay with Bilha, his father's concubine. So in Jewish concept, they actually believe that as long as I lay with my father's wife, then now I am the lord of this household. So because of this, the lust in Reuben, his insecurity, his fear, and his selfish ambition. That makes him lose his blessing, even though he used to be in this position as the firstborn son. So we have to teach our children to be very careful about the temptation of lust, and we also need to give our kids this sense of security to let them know that we love you and we love you wholeheartedly. It's unconditional, and we will guide you and love you in the love of Christ, and we will provide you. And even when our kids they make mistake, we have to first bring them in front of us through repentance to first restore our relationship, and then we also need to bring our children in front of God, and also through repentance to receive God's forgiving, so that our kids will not lose this their glorious position in front of God. And nowadays, many kids, many young adults in their high school in their college ages, they already have premarital sex. And maybe even before they got married, they might have already uh have this abortion for many times or have many sexual relationship with different guys or girls. So all those things actually really corrupt our next generation in front of God. So we need to ask God for mercy, and we need to pray for our kids to have let them have the right uh concepts of purity and to guide them to always live in front of God and to really keep their body. So that we can be a clean vessel of righteousness in front of our Lord, so that our kids can always live in front of God, and their future marriage, their offspring can always walk in God's glorious calling. So this is very important. And then next in verse twenty-seven, and Jacob came to his father Isaac in Mamre or Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron. So it's also the place where they receive the inheritance. So way too many things have happened in the past twenty to twenty-five years, and all these steps, everything step by step, it's God's pruning and breaking in Jacob's life. So even though every single step, it really makes Jacob break his heart so bad. He keep losing the thing that he cares about the most, he loves the most. You might feel that wow, Jacob, you really lives a painful life. But you know, from God's perspective. Now Israel has become someone who can truly manifest God's glory, God's promise, and all His blessing. He becomes such a vessel that can receive all these things, even though people might call it as 
painful, but God says this is glorious. So we have to change our value system and also change our concept about what we call as blessing, what we call as curse. So that even though we might receive a whole lot of pruning from God, but we know this is God's way to build us into a glorious vessel. And then we become Israel, the prince with God. So even though from man's perspective, it looks like he goes through so many suffering, we might even afraid to live a life like this. May God have mercy on us and also change us so that we won't feel that, oh, it's very bad to be in God's hands as if if we surrender ourselves to him, we will have so many challenges, so many difficulties, then we start to have this fear. Oh, maybe I shouldn't love God so much. Maybe I shouldn't serve the Lord so many. Um, even though I believe in God so firmly, I still have so many difficulties, so fearful. No, if you believe those things, then you are exactly under the deception of Satan. Because if we don't strive to use all our might to love God, then we are allowing ourselves to be eaten, to be devoured by Satan. And later on, we will, the destiny of Satan is to be in the lake of fire and completely lose the glory. So even though from man's perspective, we see it as suffering, but from God's perspective, it's glory. And also this is the process of building, molding, pruning. So may Lord help us to have his perspective to really see the blessings in our life correctly. So then in verse 28 and 29, Esau and Jacob buried Isaac. So from now on, the generation of Abraham, the generation of Isaac has passed away. And now it's the generation of Jacob. It's the generation of Israel. So their families, through Isaac's life, you might see that, oh, he has a very peaceful life as if his entire life is just to chill and enjoy in front of God. So this is actually telling us that if someone really stands in this position of a true son, then all the blessings, all the glory will belong to us and all the enjoyment will belong to us. Then we no need to keep fighting for it. But what about the life of Jacob? It also reflects our life. And it's a life that we will see how God's pruning, God's breaking, and God's building and making so that we can truly become the prince with God, become someone who can manifest God's glory. So you can see, starting from Abraham, the father of faith, he closely following God, to Isaac, the son who received the promise, to Jacob, the one who experienced all the pruning and cleansing in his life and eventually become a matured Israel. This is the building process of God in our life. And then next in chapter 36, it records uh, the genealogy of Esau. So why are we recording Esau? It's because Esau also comes from Isaac. And so Jacob, uh, he continues the life of Isaac. It's the life of God. But there is another path, which is Edom or Esau. So what does this life represent? Let's see verse 1, 2, and 3. Here it recorded the generations of Esau, and he took three wives. So even though the name of these three wives is slightly different from the recording in the previous chapters, so maybe he took more wives, or maybe he just renamed his wife. We don't really know. But there's one thing that we are sure of is that Esau, he married the daughters of Canaanites through his flesh. And then later on, he also married the daughter of Ishmael. So you can see that all his marriage are union in flesh. 
So Esau and Edom actually represents a very strong fleshly desire. So we have to be very careful about the mindset of Edom. Even nowadays in many nations or even within Israel, this mindset of Edom is actually very prevalent. And what they did is that they will always keep adding insults to injury. And so when Jacob or Israel suffers, when they are being mocked, they will even try to join the attack. And maybe in Christianity, maybe you see that some brother, they have some victory or some sisters, they are being blessed. Then we start to have this jealousy inside us. We try to add insult to them. We have this indifference. We will try to scoff them. All these things, these are our very serious issues of our flesh. And God, he will definitely cleanse these things. But at the same time, we need to ask ourselves whether or not I also have this same mindset of Edom and Esau in other aspects that all my decisions in my life are all coming from my flesh. So maybe you might say that, oh, even though I choose it from my flesh, I still receive my blessing. I still have grace. Maybe I also have inheritance. But uh, if you look closely in verse 4 to verse 8, Edom, does he have any inheritance? Yes, he does. But the inheritance of Edom is not in Hebron because Hebron belongs to Jacob. So where did Edom go? He went to the hill country of Seir. So God appointed the hill country of Seir as an inheritance for Edom, but it's not in God's promised land. And then from verse 9 to verse 19, it listed out the 14 tribes from Edom. So all these 14 tribes, they are very bad towards Israel. So remember when Israel, they leave Egypt, Edom did not treat Israel very well. But God, he still said that you shall not abhor the Edomite, for he is your brother. So here God says, don't abhor them. And he choose to keep Edom is because wherever Israel, they choose to betray God, God will use Edom to prune Israel. But later on in book of Amos, you will see that sometimes when Edom, when they go too far, God will also allow Edom to be destroyed by other country until this country completely disappear. However, even all these things in Amos chapter 9, there's another special thing is that at that time, Edom has disappeared already, but God again says, even the Edomites will become my people. So, you know, God, he will also cleanse Edom. He will also keep Edom because he is the son of Isaac. So their families, if, even though you might feel that I'm very fleshly, I did a lot of wrong thing out of my flesh. It seems like I'm very mature. And all my response or decision-making, I do it in my flesh and my body. As long as you are willing to return and keep returning, then God, he will eventually keep transform our life and bring it back to God's grace through his pruning and transformation. And also we have to remember that in the current generation, all the surrounding countries around Israel, they all hate Israel, just like Edom also hate Israel. But eventually God will come and do cleansing and God can also change their lives so that they can eventually also become God's people. So Edom ultimately is still within God's promise. Then in verse 20 to verse 31, you will see that there are many kings, there are eight kings. However, one thing to note that is that in the Bible, it didn't mention who their father is. And actually this uh, is a confirmation to Isaac's prophecy and his blessing. He says, by your sword, you shall live. So you can see that the king of Edom is, they 
completely rely on their flesh, their body, so that they all obtain their kingship through their own strength. They obtain their kingship not through inheritance, but instead they live in the life of an orphan, a life of a spiritual orphan, which means they completely rely on their own flesh and body to build their own kingdom. So this is Edom, but this is different from Jacob because Jacob he received the inheritance from Isaac. Isaac received the inheritance from Abraham, and then oh, similarly Joseph received the inheritance from Jacob. So for spiritual sons and daughters, they have inheritance. So their families. I want you to ask yourself: Who is the one? Who is the pastor who is guiding me? Who is the one who teach me? Who provides me? Who is the one who is discipling me? So many Christians, they were never being discipled, and they never have this concept of to live undercover. So maybe they believe in Jesus, and they thought that okay, now Jesus is my Lord and my Lord only. So I will try to build my faith by myself, and this is also a mindset of Edom. So instead, if you are willing to find the pastor who is discipling you. The authority that is guiding you and willing to choose to surrender to them to keep learning, then instead of、uh, myself Edom, you now are walking in a life that can receive the inheritance, which is very different. And so near the end, verse forty-three, Magdal and Iram, these are the chiefs of Edom. That is Esau, the father of Edom, according to their dwelling place in the land of their possession. So you can see. Edom, they also have their own land, and they also have their own king, and this is again a confirmation to God's prophecy to Rebecca: two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other; the older shall serve the younger. So now, indeed, the offspring of Esau became a kingdom, but at this moment, the descendants, the offspring of Israel, hasn't been a kingdom yet. And in fact, instead of being a kingdom, his descendants are actually prepared to be the slave in Egypt. So you know, when Israel, they, when they are still being slaved in Egypt, Edom has already become a nation. So you might feel that, oh, if I keep following God's path, allow God to keep pruning in my life, I also live undercover. I'm also under discipleship. But when maybe when you see. Those people who choose to rely on their own strength, they choose to walk their own path. Maybe it looks like they have more accomplishment at the moment. It may look like I am still、uh, walking in the same place. Maybe others have their own ministry. They have their own church. They have their own glory. And you might ask God, "What am I doing right now?" But their families remember the kingdom of Edom is built earlier compared to Israel. So when Edom has already relied on his own flesh to be a great nation, Israel they are still staying in Egypt, being a slave for four hundred years. However, when Israel when they leave Egypt, God says, "Yes, this is the host of the Lord." So please don't be worried. As long as you keep walking in God's timing, even though it looks like you are slower, and even though you look like okay, you surrender to God, you live under authority. You truly put your flesh to death. You don't have your selfish ambition. You live undercover. Live in this discipleship relationship. It may look like you are slower. You might feel that maybe I will lose the blessing from the ministry. Maybe I lose the desire of my life. You feel like maybe you are slower. 
that actually Israel is the one who is walking in God's timeline, in God's order and his promise. So please don't feel that you might be less than others. And also don't be afraid or worried if others' ministry seems to be better than you, even though it looks like they can uh, build their own thing to leave the cover, leave the authority and to build their own thing. It looks so admirable, but actually their families. As long as you keep allowing yourself to live undercover, live in God's order, live in God's schedule, when you feel that you are most powerless, most weak, and you don't have your ambition, it's the time when El Shaddai, the God Almighty, will manifest to you. He will keep strengthening his promise and covenant to you. The king will come out from you, and then he will also make our life be able to receive the same promise, the inheritance from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Amen.